0: Welcome, ladies, to yet another beautiful day of the Modern Christian Bachelorette. My name is Habila Makorosi, and today I have a very special guest. His name is Pastor Scott. Ladies, he's going to be talking to us on a very fascinating subject, the subject of submission in marriage. You know, I know he's busy getting ready, we want to get married and all that, but there's this one important subject. Of submission are we ready are we ready to submit to someone I mean you've been doing everything on your own taking decisions going anywhere anytime doing just about anything you know at your pace and at your time so now that you're getting ready to get married have you thought about what it would mean to having to have to submit to somebody so without any further ado I'm just going to give over to Pastor to take us through the subject and introduce himself
1: Well, thank you very much for having me. Really glad to be here and and, uh, take part in this interview and support your ministry to uh, young Christian women who are looking forward to marriage. That's very exciting. So, and this is definitely an important topic. Uh, It's somewhat taboo. Many people don't want to talk about it. They, uh, it's almost like a a bad word, you know, to mention submission in the church. If a pastor is going to preach on it, you kind of have to lock the back doors to make sure all the women, you know, don't run out. So, uh, but it is very important, and I don't mean just for women. Everyone, every Christian is expected to be submissive and to submit in different ways. So uh, I say the word submit, and we tend to think about wives to their husbands, but uh, wives submitting to husbands is far from the only instance of submission in Scripture. We see that employees submit to employers. We see that children submit to or obey their parents. Citizens submit to the government. Um we even see in First Corinthians 11, it says that the head of woman is man, but the head of man is Christ, and the head of, of Christ is God the Father. So even there's submission within the triune uh, nature of God himself. And so for someone to criticize submission would actually be criticizing God or criticizing God's design or plan. Because if I ask who's been the most submissive person in all of human history, uh capital P person, we would recognize that that was Jesus. His life really was a life of submission from beginning to end from the, you know, the, he perfectly obeyed his father. He said, I did not come to fulfill my own will. I came to fulfill his will. So the question for him was always, what does my father want me to do? And so he is really the premier example or demonstration of submission. And so if we saw, if we saw submission as a sign of weakness or inferiority, then we would have to acknowledge that Jesus himself was inferior to the Father, or that he was a a weak individual. And so that's one of the main criticisms that people bring against submission, that it's an issue of uh, inferiority, and that for a woman to submit to her husband is to imply that she is inferior. But if someone was to say that, then they would also have to, uh, to be consistent claim that God the son Jesus is is inferior to his father to God the father and we don't think that we recognize that within the triune nature of God all three persons are equal even though there's uh, and Jesus is not inferior and the father is not superior and so really it's an issue of uh different roles and responsibilities we recognize or we should recognize that when people have different roles and responsibilities it doesn't mean that they are inferior or that someone is superior. For example, if you thought of a classroom, you know, with, with students and a teacher, or you thought of a business where there's employees and there's a boss, we don't look and think that those students who are submitting to the teacher are inferior to the teacher. We don't look at the employees and say that they're inferior to their employer. And so it's not an, it's not an issue of uh, superiority or inferiority. It's just an issue of God's natural design plan for um, marriage, for there to be headship. And I think uh, to be a, one of the really interesting uh, parts of this is most people recognize the need for submission or leadership or authority in all other areas of life, but they sometimes don't want to apply that to marriage. And what I mean is if you think about any organization, any business, any team, any, there's always a leadership structure. If, if you think about uh, you know, sports, there's a, there's a head coach and then there's an assistant coach. There's not two head coaches. You've, you've got a pilot. There's a pilot, there's a co pilot. You know, in the, in the operating room, nobody wants to be operated on by two head surgeons that are arguing about what should, should happen. President, vice president. Uh, you know, I was a school teacher. There's a principal, there's an assistant principal. And so we appreciate the need for this sort of structure in all areas of life. And we should also recognize the need for it in the, in the marriage relationship, um, unfortunately, when people think about submission, it conjures up all these, you know, terrible ideas of a woman that's like a doormat and she's just doing, you know, every little menial task that her husband asks. And that's and that's completely um, not true. I mean, obviously, I'm addressing women in this message, but if I was addressing men, I would be talking about the ways that that husbands should love and cherish their wives. Um, that a husband is to be to his wife what Christ is to the church. And when we think about what Christ was to the church, he, he served, he was a servant. He was sacrificial. He exhausted himself caring for and loving his disciples and the church. And so we see that if I was talking to husbands, I would be talking about that same agape or sacrificial, unconditional love that Christ exhibited. Since we're talking to young ladies here and informing them about submission, that's kind of what we're focusing on. So with that said, um, to kind of dispel the, the myth or wrong view of submission, we want to understand that submission largely comes into place, or actually I would say almost entirely comes into place for when a husband and wife disagree. And I think this is a really important distinction. Submission is entirely in place for when a husband and wife disagree so that the relationship can go forward. So it's not to say the husbands don't listen to their wives. I mean, you think of Genesis 2.18 and God creates Adam and everything has been good. You know, after each day he creates and at the end of the day he looks and he says, uh, it says, and he saw that this was good and this was good and this was good. Everything's good. And do you remember the first time that God said something was not good? It was after he created Adam and he looks and he said, and it says, it, it is not good that man should be alone. And so I will create him a helper. And a wife can kind of hear that, and I've seen some women who might cringe at the idea that they're called a helper. They don't really like that that title uh, they They think it's kind of a like a criticism of them. but what's really interesting is it's actually uh, an observation about man's inadequacy. When God said, "I will make him a helper," God was pointing out that man is is inadequate without it's basically like God looked down at men and he said, "You need help, you're not going to make it, you know. And so then he decided to create women for man. And so a woman is introduced as this very powerful agent that is going to help man be everything that God wants him to be. Uh, the, when God says, you know, I will make him a helper, that's a comment on man's inadequacy, not, not a criticism of woman's, uh, you know, weakness or something along those lines. But all that to say when, when God made Adam a helper or made every husband, a helper provided a helper on his wedding day. We expect that a, a wife is going to help a husband in, in many ways. I mean, that could be an entire sermon just talking about ways that wives can help their husbands. But one of the, one of the wonderful ways is through providing counsel, through providing advice. My wife is a, I'm very blessed. I think she's a wonderful, godly woman. She's wise. She's articulate. There are many times that I thought God was speaking to me through my wife. He was directing me through Katie. He was helping me recognize his will or he, we go over the sermon each week after I finish this interview. We're going to go and we're going to go over the sermon for Sunday. I trust my wife's insights. It's very, it's very valuable to me. And so one of the most powerful or important ways for a wife to help her husband is through sharing her thoughts and counsel. We, we've been dialoguing for months about some situations in our lives and trying to determine God's will. And I'm constantly hearing what Katie has to say. So let's just say that a husband and wife are facing. An important decision and they have talked and talked and talked a decision has to be made they can't just continue delaying this for months or years and a husband has listened to everything his wife has to say and after dialoguing you know she feels like they should go left and he feels like they should go right you know she feels like it's it's a and he feels like it's b and so you're at this impasse. and so the question is well what are you going to do so the relationship can go forward um, you know, are you going to flip a coin? Or are you going to play paper, rock, scissors? And um, so what God has determined is for the relationship to go forward, the husband will be the decision maker. And at that moment, that's when submission is introduced. So submission should not be introduced when a husband wants his wife to get some coffee for him or when he wants his car washed or something like that. Submission is not in place to provide a husband with a servant. Submission is in place so that When there's an impasse on the road, a decision can be made, and God has just decided the man would do that. And then it's the wife's responsibility, essentially, to put herself behind her husband. And so kind of an important thing for a wife to understand with submission is a wife is not – she's not supporting the idea. She actually probably disagrees with the idea. If she agreed with the idea, she wouldn't have to submit, right? So what she's supporting is her husband. She's supporting – god's plan and she's striving to obey what god has said in his word and so i've heard some women say this before they said well i would submit to my husband if i agreed with him or i would submit with submit to my husband if i thought he was making the right decision but i do we see kind of the problem with that you wouldn't have to submit if you agreed if you if you liked what your husband was doing that wouldn't require any submission if i told my wife if i said hey let's go out to this chinese restaurant tonight so you don't have to make dinner and I'll get a babysitter to watch the kids. She doesn't have to submit to that. She's excited about that. Submission is entirely for when a wife doesn't want to do what her husband is saying or thinks it's the wrong decision, but she puts herself behind him and supports that idea so that the relationship, um, can go forward. Wow. That
0: is so profound, Pastor. but let me just pick on two things that you actually mentioned. So, Uh, Starting with the one that I just explained now. So, in a situation, let's suppose um, a wife and a husband are not seeing eye to eye on something that has to be um, done. Maybe a decision that has to be taken. And in that particular moment, actually, what the wife say, option A, the one that she is suggesting, should be taken. Is actually the correct one in, because maybe she has once walked the path and she knows where that path is to. Vis-a-vis the husband who says, no, it must be B because I'm the head of the house. So, in that particular instance, how actually should the couple or uh, the husband or the wife at this particular instance handle the situation when they know that road A is actually literally leading us to destruction and yet my husband says, it's road B. Let me take.
1: That that is such a great question, and I, I deal with this at marriage conferences because it is such a big issue. And I never say if your husband makes the wrong decision. I always say when your husband makes the wrong decision, because we're not perfect, we're not infallible, and so your husband is inevitably going to make the wrong decision. And and I'm this might be a little bit of an oversimplification, but there let's say that there are two ways a husband can make the wrong decision. Let's say a husband has listened to his wife. He has been prayerful. Perhaps he has sought counsel from elders. He has been patient. He has read the word to determine what he should do. He has made the decision that he thought was best and he has put forth his best effort to make that decision. He has not been proud. He has, he has considered all of his wife's thoughts and he makes the right, he makes a decision and it turns out to be wrong. In that instance, the wife's husband should not be made to feel like he sinned. She should not rebuke him. He should not be made to, re- he should not feel like he has to repent. He did what he thought was best and it just turned out to be the wrong decision. Now hopefully if he's a, if he is a humble husband, he will tell his wife something like, you know, you were right and I was wrong, but I don't think he needs to ask for forgiveness because I don't think that he sinned. So that's that's one way a husband can make the wrong decision. The other way a husband can make the wrong decision is let's say he's he's being prideful, he um, is being stubborn. And in that case, he has sinned because pride and stubbornness are are sinful. So let's say there's a husband that says, I don't want to listen to you, you know, and he won't pray about it, he won't he makes he's not being spiritual, he doesn't consider what God's word says, he doesn't talk to any elders and he makes a decision that flows from his pride and stubbornness, perhaps it's a selfish decision, and it turns out that he was wrong, well, then he did sin, and then that husband should say, I'm sorry, Uh, will you forgive me? I was wrong. I I was being proud, or I was being stubborn. But here's the thing. I'm saying that to these ladies, and these ladies are saying, boy, that would be really wonderful if my husband did that. What if my husband doesn't do that? What if my husband was proud, stubborn, Um, obnoxious and, and I tried to help him and he made the wrong decision and he will not admit that he made the wrong decision and he continues to argue and make excuses and everything like that. This is a really difficult thing for me to say, ladies, but here's the truth. You still should not say, I told you so. You still should not tell your husband, I told you so. I told my church that nobody likes when I told you so person. Anytime we say I told you so, it's prideful, it's obnoxious. Um, nobody has ever been told I told you so and then thought that the person that told them looked better when they said that. Anytime we ever say I told you so, we're giving into the flesh, we're being selfish, we're being prideful. And so and so I would say this, ladies, and this is this is difficult. It's even hard for me to say this, but if your husband is wrong because he is being proud and stubborn and he will not admit it, you still do not want to tell him, I told you so, because then you're essentially stooping down to his level and you're becoming proud and somewhat obnoxious too. The best thing you can do, which I believe will convict your husband, is be humble. He already knows that he was wrong. You don't need to tell him that. He he's, he might be trying to hide it because he's proud. He's being proud, but he knows that he was wrong. He knows that you were right. You don't have to tell him that. But if you, if your flesh flares up and you start arguing with him and condemning him, that's going to make him want to dig in his heels and argue his position even more. The best thing you can do is be a, a humble, you know, Christ-like example so that your humility rebukes his pridefulness at that time. But it is, it is definitely a very thing, a very difficult thing to do. Um, and just pray, pray that your husband will have the humility to apologize when he's wrong. There have been times I could, I could tell you, I mean, I don't know if you want to take a you know, how much of the interview you want to take. I would probably take multiple interviews where I have been wrong. And there have been times that I was wrong because I was being prideful, And there were times that I was wrong when I thought I was making the right decision for my family. And I still have appreciated that Katie did not beat me up about that or make me feel bad about the times that, that I was wrong. So. Wow. That's
0: awesome. So. Yeah. What I'm picking there, there's also an element of respect, like just to respect your husband. And that leads me to my next question. So what is the distinction between submission and respect? What would you say the distinction is? Mm
1: -hmm. Good. So I, so just as a kind of brief reminder, submission is for when a wife disagrees with her husband. So submission is about how a wife responds when she disagrees with the direction or decision her husband uh, wants to take. Respect refers to how a wife treats her husband um, most of the rest of the relationship. So, for example, let's say there's a husband and he's having a conversation with a group of people. This is just one example, although I, I can give you plenty of other examples of what it looks like to respect or disrespect a husband. Let's say that there's a husband and he's in this room at this party, perhaps, and he's sharing some story with some group of people, and then his wife walks up she doesn't have to follow him there's no submission that's needed right now he's not making a decision but let's say if he tells this story she just kind of interrupts him she rolls her eyes she says that's not how it happened that's not let me go ahead and finish that or you don't know what you're talking about or and i've seen this i've seen a man who will be talking uh about you know any number of things and his wife comes up and just kind of kind of chops him off at the knees or rolls her eyes at what he's saying um, kind of treats him like he's a little boy and says, well, let me go ahead and tell you guys what really happened and finishes his story for him. And you kind of, I mean, that's very disrespectful. And you kind of think that if a wife would act like that in public, imagine how she would act towards her husband at home. Um, you know, and so I would ask, I, I've seen wives who roll their eyes at their husbands, wag their fingers at them, treat them like they're little boys, um, you know, cut them off when they're talking, mock them or make fun of them. I'll tell you one story about my wife real quick. I'm not a handy guy. I'm a pastor now. I was really involved in um, academics and athletics growing up, so I never learned to work on cars or build houses or anything like that. A lot of guys in my church are super handy like that, but I'm definitely not. Well, a few years ago, uh, the gate at our house was uh, kind of falling down, and I was dreading going out and working on it. Not because I'm lazy, but because I just didn't didn't think that I would be able to fix it. I, I know that for many guys it'd be no big deal to go and do something like this, but for me it was like a you know pretty pretty big project. So I went out and I worked on it and I was able to fix it. And um honestly because of how uh you know not handy I am, I was fairly proud of myself. So I went in the house and I told Katie just sort of um you know, just quickly, I said, Hey, I want to let you know I fixed the gate. And she could have said something I mean I guess there's two things she could have said. She could have said something like if she's a disrespectful wife, like, Well, it's about time you did that, or what took you so long, or the gate's been falling down and you finally got around to it. When are you gonna get around to fixing all these other things around the house? That's what a that's what a disrespectful response would be like. Um she also could have just said, Okay, that's very nice. I'm you know, I'm glad you did that. But instead what she did was she said, Oh, I'd like to go see it and she kinda walked outside you know, with me and stood next to me and she looked at the gate and kind of, put, you know, gave me a hug or a kiss or something and said, oh, wow, you did such a great job there. And, you know, to many, I mean, to me, it was kind of a big deal because I I was, uh, you know, I'm not very good at this kind of stuff. But Katie made it a big deal and she made me feel good about what I had done. And I felt like she was showing a lot of respect for me at that moment. Um, I would say many times, and this is kind of tough because we just we just talked about Genesis 218 and a wife being her husband's helper. Sometimes when a wife is trying to help her husband, she's very helpful. Other times when a wife tries to help her husband, he feels disrespected. So for example, if a husband um, shares an idea and the wife wants to help and she shares all the reasons that he's wrong, she points out all the holes in, his, in what he's thinking he might not feel like she's being very helpful. He might feel like she's just criticizing everything that he's saying. And so it is kind of tough. Sometimes the wife is being helpful, but sometimes what her husband hears is something like you're incompetent. You can't do anything. You never do anything right. And I've kind of seen that. I've I've seen that where a guy has an idea. He talks about doing something and his wife thinks she's helping, but really he just feels like she's criticizing him up one side and down the other. So that's why it's pretty important for a wife to learn her husband and what he finds respectful and what he finds disrespectful.
0: Wow, that's so profound. So I just want to take you uh, a step or two back. You mentioned something about submission often being um, interpreted to mean inferiority, being a dormant, and stuff like that. So here in this conference, you're talking to ladies who are Relatively doing well, you know, they're doing well in their careers. They have everything. They don't necessarily need a man in their life because they want the man to to um help them financially or anything like that. So how would you? How does one social status or financial status or whatever you call it? How does it affect in your experience submission in this context? To what Because there's this perception in society that uh, if you're a CEO and all that, you are least likely to actually respect your husband. How true is that in your experience? And should your social status in any way affect how you respect your husband? Mm-hmm.
1: That's a good question. So I'm going to answer that by first just sharing one thing that I generally share with young men. So young men are wondering whether they should be married. And if I, I usually have some familiarity with them. And let's say they play a lot of video games or they're really into sports or they really like skiing all the time. And they'll say, am I ready to get married? And I'll say something like, are you ready to make your wife the the supreme relationship in your life? Are you ready to make your wife kind of your queen or premier in your life so so that she is not second place to anything except for Christ? And so if a young man says, you know, no, I'm not ready to do that, then I'll say you're not ready to get married yet. If he says, I still want to keep, you know, whatever it is, playing video games, playing with my friends, having all my poker nights and things like that. And I'm not, I'm not saying a guy can't have some hobbies or activities, but in first Corinthians 13, Paul says, when I became a man, I put away childish things. And so if someone is ready to be a husband or become a man, he has to be willing to put away these childish things so that his wife, there's no way a guy can keep everything that he wants in his life or everything that he had in his life before he was married. When he's married because that would mean there's no room for his wife he has to give up things to fit his wife into his life and so for a man to get married there's a lot he must sacrifice and maybe you can see the point that i'm that i'm getting at that there are things that a wife has to be willing a woman has to be willing to give up to become a wife too if a wife wants to keep i'm not saying a wife can't have a job i'm not saying she can't work outside the home but i am saying if she expects nothing if she doesn't want to change anything in her life to get married she is not willing. She is not ready to get married. Just like that young man's not ready to get married if he's not willing to give up things. If a woman says, I'm going to get married and my life is going to stay the same. I'm going to keep doing all of the things that I've been doing. I am not going to change anything and I'm not going to give up anything for my husband. Then she is not willing to, she's not ready to get married. She's going to get married and it's going to be a big disaster. Just like it would be a big disaster if a young man got married and didn't change anything in his life. Now, regarding value, which might have been what you were asking about, I understand that for a woman who can excel in the workplace or who can make a lot of money, there can be a considerable um, sense of value from that or self-esteem, and I hate to sound harsh when I say this, but that shows a woman who's not finding her value in Christ. She's That's a woman who's not finding her identity in Christ. So, for example, for me, you were kind of talking about my, my book or, you know, my, or my pastor or speaking or something like that. My value should not come or my identity should not come from how many books I've sold or how many speaking engagements or something like that. My I, my value comes from what Christ has done from, for me and my identity is in him. And so I have the greatest value when I obey what God's word says, not when I'm successful and the world dies. So you can make a lot of money and be a big success in the world, whether you're a man or a woman, and be a real failure in God's eyes. So the issue is the issue is we want to be a success in God's eyes, and sometimes that can mean turning away from things in the world. And so if a woman says, you know, I have this job, I want this big promotion, I would ask her to examine her heart. Where is her value? What what get, what allows her to have self-esteem? Does it come from the size of her paycheck? Does it? I mean. If a woman's not married, I can understand that she has to work to take care of herself. And sometimes even because of unforeseen circumstances, a wife who is married is forced to work, you know, to, to help take care of the family or something like that. But her identity and her value can't come from that. And so I would encourage every young woman to consider what does God's word say to wives? What does God value? What does he say uh, is important for women? And that's what a woman should pursue, and that's where she should find her value and her identity. And a really good place to start, even though it's not very attractive to the world, is Titus 2. In, Ch- in Titus 2, it talks about older women teaching younger women these things that God highly values. And it tells them, you know, to be chaste, homemakers, uh, love their husbands, love their children, care for their husband, care for their children. Now, I know in the world, caring for a home, caring for children, and caring for your husband is not very uh, highly esteemed. It looks a lot better to, you know, be, to make a lot of money and excel in the workplace. But the question is, what does God want and what is important to him? And so I would just encourage any young lady, take a look at Titus 2, see what God says there and strive to pursue those things and find your value and your identity in them.
0: Awesome. That is so awesome. So that leads me to my next question. So I'm, I'm hearing all those, um, you know, the insights, they wonderful insights. And I'm asking myself a question. So what does submission uh look like to a man vis vis love? In other words, what is more important? Is it important for me to love my husband more than me submitting to him? Or uh is it which one is more important? <laughs>
1: Very good. That, that's a good question. I'll back up just a little bit and I and just say that um at creation it says that God made Man, he made, and then he made male and female. He made humans and he made them male and female and they're different. They're distinct. Men and women have differences. And complementarian, not complement like C-O-M-P-L-I, the complement like C-O-M-P-L-E, which refers to men and women. uh, I have a a very complementarian view. Complementarian means that men and women are different, distinct, and they fit together well. They complement each other well. The alternative to a complementarian view is called egalitarian or egalitarianism. And egalitarian uh, egalitarianism essentially denies the distinctions between men and women. And I think that it's uh, egalitarian is is unbiblical, and I think it's a very worldly view, because what the world wants to do is the world wants to destroy the line between the genders, right? The world wants to act like men and women are the same; they're not different. In fact, that line between men and women is not just blurred. It has actually been removed so much so that a man can become a woman and a woman can become a man, right? So God, so the Bible says God made a male and female and now the world is saying, well, no, if God made you male, you can be a female. And if he made you female, maybe he actually made you a male and you can become a male. Well, What we want to do is we want to recognize that there's male and female, that they're separate, that they're distinct. And part of the the distinction between men and women is we have different struggles. There are things like, for example, I think it's in Colossians three, it says, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. But there's no corresponding verse that says, uh, wives, love your husbands and do not be harsh with them. Now, yes, a wife could be harsh toward her husband, but because there's a verse telling a husband not to be harsh with his wife, that tells me that husbands are more prone to being harsh with their wives than wives are toward their husbands. Now, think about Proverbs and Proverbs there's a whole bunch of verses about wives nagging their husbands. You know, the ones where it's like a drip, dripping faucet sit on the corner of the roof or a, a man would rather go out in the wilderness. And I, don't, I mean, they're pretty strong verses. Well, because there's no comparable verses for husbands about nagging their wives, that tells me that husbands can't nag their wives, but it's probably a greater struggle for wives to nag their husbands. And so I'm just talking about how there's distinctions between men and women, and we struggle with different things. Well, similarly, we also crave different things. We we want different things. Men are satisfied differently than women are satisfied. And Ephesians 5 very clearly commands um, husbands to love their wives. Now, it's not to say that wives don't want to be loved, but it's definitely emphasized throughout Scripture that husbands are supposed to love their wives. And it's emphasized in Scripture like Ephesians 5.33. After Ephesians 5.33, after God... God commands husbands to love their wives. There's this long passage, and then it mentions wives again, and you would expect it to say, husbands love your wives, and then wives love your husbands. But instead it says, wives respect your husbands, because that's what's in, most important for husbands. And again, it's not to say that, that a wife doesn't want to be respected. In fact, earlier I said I said that wives should look at Titus 2, and in that chapter it says the older women should teach the younger women to love their husbands. And so, Husbands do want to be loved, but just between the two, what they want more than anything is to be respected. And then it's not to say that wives don't want to be respected. First Peter three, seven that says that husbands are supposed to honor their wives. Well, honoring your wife is very close to respecting your wife. But between the two, what's most important for a wife is generally to be cherished and to be loved. So for me, for example, I don't really it's not really important to me that my wife um, writes me poetry or buys me flowers or give me, gives me cards and things like that. But those are things my wife really values. What I really value is when I'm getting beat up by, you know, ministry or I'm struggling, I want to go home and I want to, and I hope my wife will encourage me and stand by me and respect me. And probably the premier um, expert on this subject is a guy named Dr. Emerson Egrich. He wrote the book Love and Respect. He surveyed thousands of people. And he asked all these men, if you have to choose, you can't choose both. You just have to choose one. Would you rather be loved or respected? And he asked all these thousands of women, would you rather be loved than respected? And about 80% of the men said that they'd rather be respected. And 80% of the women said that they would rather be loved. And it's kind of interesting because if a wife is disrespectful to her husband, he actually won't feel like she loves him. And if a husband does not love his wife, then she will not feel respected by him. So that's why it is so important for the, for us to obey God's word, to kind of, we, we must look at what scripture says and say, I'm going to do that whether it makes sense to me because I trust that God knows what's best. He's the author and creator of marriage. He knows what husbands and wives need and I'm going to strive to apply that to my marriage.
0: Wow. Wow. Uh, I know we can go on and on and on, but in the interest of time, can we, in wrapping up, what you, what advice can you give to someone? Uh, I mean, you're talking to the ladies who are single and getting uh, ready to be married anytime soon. So what are the last ways you can, uh, you know, share with them to say how do they Sure. Specifically for submission. Okay, very good. I'm
1: going to steal something from my wife that I've heard her say. So we have eight children. We're expecting our ninth child. Our ninth child should be born in September. Uh yeah, in a few months, so maybe not, not long after this comes out, then, uh, you know, we'll be even closer to having our ninth child. So We're really excited. Anyone watching this, if you want to pray for my, pray for my wife, yeah, we would, we would be, um, you can go to my website and you can see pictures of my, of my family there. But, uh, my oldest child is a dot, is a girl, um, my daughter Rhea, and she's going to be 14 in July. And Katie and I, I mean, here's what's kind of interesting. People, we've been talking about submission and some people think that submission means you're a doormat. My, you know, very wimpy or something. My wife is a super strong woman. People have told her throughout her life that she's very strong willed. She's opinionated. She's a leader. Um, and she chooses to submit. It's not always easy for her but it's actually strong women that submit. But anyway, because I'm kind of a type A person and strong personality, and so is my wife, our first child, because it's always the first child that has the strongest personality. My daughter, Rhea, has a very strong personality. She's a leader. And Katie always tells her, when I ask Rhea to do something, Katie says, you need to get used to submitting to your father because you're going to be submitting to your husband. And so Katie's point is basically... Start practicing submission now. Start getting used to submitting now because you're going to be submitting uh, once you get married. If you don't learn to submit now, you are not going to be a submissive wife when you get married. And if a young man was talking to me and he said, how should I know if, if my wife is going to be a godly wife or not? I would say, look at the way she treats her father. Look at her relationship toward her father. If she disrespects him, if she rebels against him, if she talks bad about him behind his back then you can be pretty certain that that's exactly how she's going to be when she's married. Similarly, if, if a young lady said, how do I know what my husband is going to be like? I would say, look at the way that he treats his mother. Is he kind to her? Does he respect her? Does he love her? Then the way that he treats his mom is probably the way that he's going to treat you. And so I would just say these young ladies, and here's kind of the idea. If you picture an umbrella, a young lady is under the umbrella of her husband's authority and then the the father, I'm sorry, a young lady is under the authority of her of her father, and he walks her down the aisle, and then he passes her off to her husband, and so a, a wife, a, a young lady, basically just is transferred from the authority of her father to the authority of her husband. So there's never really this time she basically spends her life submitting to her father and then submitting to To her husband and so she can start practicing for that season of marriage while she's still in the home with her with her parents with her father
0: wow 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 thank you so much i'm actually tempted to ask you one last question in relation to to what you just shared now so i mean people come from very diverse families i okay luckily i was brought up in a family where there's uh, dad and a mom and my mom used to teach us the same that we should submit to my to my dad but what about an instance where i have i know i have a lot of friends who are raised by a single mom and they don't know what it is to actually submit to a male uh somebody and then suddenly they find themselves getting married and having to submit to someone and we i must say i grew up in a very toxic uh society where uh they tell you men are this and men are bad never trust men men are trash excuse my friends and all that so as a christian what would you say specifically to someone who's never experienced uh that life of being to submit to someone or a like a demonstration of what submission looks like what would you where should they start i mean i grew up uh, with a single mom i don't know what it is to submit to anyone where do i start other than studying the bible
1: yeah, I have, I have two pieces of advice. I think that's a great question. First, I wasn't raised in a Christian home, so I did not know what a Christian marriage looked like. I did, not have a, I did not have an example myself. I remember I became a Christian, and someone was talking to me about submission and headship in marriage, and I actually remember saying how dumb I thought that sounded, because I had not yet read the Bible. So the first thing I would say is um, to hold to God's word, look to God's word. Romans 12 tells us, do not be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so, as we read God's word, it renews our mind and it transforms us to give us a biblical understanding of what marriage looks like. So, even if someone is raised in a very ungodly environment with a very toxic family or toxic, toxic example of what, of what marriage looks like, by reading God's word and, and being washed and cleansed by it and sanctified, they can't develop a biblical view of marriage and what it should be. The second thing. This is why it's so important to be plugged in to a biblically-ordered, healthy church that preaches God's Word, because if you're part of a biblically-ordered church that's healthy and that preaches God's Word, you're going to have examples around you. You're going to see other people who have a biblical marriage. So for me, I wasn't raised in a Christian home, but when I became a Christian, I became very close to a wonderful conservative family, and I was able to see what they were doing, and that was my exposure to headship, submission, a husband loving and cherishing his wife and a wife, um, respecting and submitting to her husband. And that example in person was just so powerful to me. And so I would encourage all young ladies, I would say the same thing to young men as you're waiting to get married, make sure you're around Christians that you can look up to, that you can expect, that you can learn from. And I don't even, I don't even, I don't even mean learn from by them teaching you. I mean learn from simply because you can watch their lives and their families and see. What they're doing, and and I believe that has a power, can have a very powerful effect, regardless of what your past, uh, background was like.
0: Wow, awesome. I promise this is the very last question I'm gonna ask (laughs) you. So, does, uh, submission somehow get affected by how a husband treats a wife? I'm particularly referring to a situation where the husband is abusive, the husband doesn't value the wife, the husband talks to the wife anyhow does that in a way affect how she actually submits? Or should it even be affected in any shape or form?
1: Yeah. So when, I, when I'm talking to husbands at marriage conferences, you know, wives will be there. And let's say I have a whole message telling husbands to love their wives. But at the very end of that message, I look at the wives and I ask them. I say, your husband is commanded to love you. I just finished a whole message about that. But let me ask can you be more lovable? Can you make it easier for your husband to love you? And the answer to that is yes. There are definitely, even though every husband is commanded to love his wife, there are definitely some wives who are more lovable. There are definitely some wives I've looked at and thought, man, it must be really difficult to love that woman. Look at the way that she acts. Well, similarly, a wife is going to have a much easier time submitting to a godly man. And so a wife is commanded to submit to her husband regardless. But it's going to be much easier if he's a spiritual man who prays and reads the word. And so I'm actually really glad you asked this last question because it reminds me of one really important thing to say. Normally, at marriage conferences, everyone's already married. So I'm talking to women who can't marry someone else. They already have a husband. So all of you young ladies who are listening to this, you need to remember you're going to have to submit to this husband. And so you want to marry a spiritual man who will pray, who will read the word, who will love you. And so you haven't already watched walked down the aisle and entered some marriage that you regret for the rest of your life. So this is actually pretty unique. Now that I think about it, I don't think there are many times that I've spoken to young single women. And so I would tell these young single women, keep in mind, you're going to have to submit to your husband, and that should cause you to want to look for what kind of husband, a loving one, a spiritual one, a man of the word, a man of prayer, because if you marry a husband like that, it's going to be much easier for you to respect him and to submit to him once you are married to him.
0: Wow, wow. Thank you so much, Pastor. I wish we can go on and on and on, but time is not on our side. i personally learned so much, and I know you've imparted so much to the ladies, so thank you so very much. Ladies, uh, all the information, uh, everything, the book that we we're actually reviewing, this, one we we're discussing, is taken from a book that Pastor wrote. It's called uh, Your Marriage, God's Way. So uh, he'll give us a bit of more detail on that, but... Every information on where you can find the book, his website, his social media links are all, if you scroll down, you'll see all the info. Any last words, uh, Pastor, that you want to say to the ladies in closing?
1: Um, thanks for bringing me on here. I appreciate what you're doing, ministering to young ladies. I th- I wish that there was more of this. I think it's a, a wonderful thing you're doing, and I'm glad to have been a small part of it. And for any of those people listening, you can find more information about me at my site, scotlapierre.org. I have a small pamphlet there that I'd love to give you for free. That's my, that's my gift to you. It's called Seven Biblical Insights for Healthy, Joyful, Christ-Centered Marriages. I'd love to give you a free copy of that. Um, it's a pretty short read that I hope would be impactful. And if I can ever pray for you in any way or serve you, please feel free to reach out to me through my website. So thanks a lot and God bless.
0: Thank you so much, Pastor. Bye, Let's See you again tomorrow.